Check one, two. Hello. Hey, what's up? In the brand new uh, under construction Chief End podcasting studio. Um, got a brand new microphone. Actually dropped some serious money on a uh, high quality podcasting microphone. Um, and the podcasting studio is, I would say, about, well, with the microphone, about 10% complete. <laughs> because I'm waiting on uh, soundproofing foam for this here little booth that has been constructed. Um, it is in the downstairs uh, of our new house. I have the entire bottom floor as an office, and so I'm not too sure how the uh, rapscallion munchkins um, running around upstairs during uh, virtual uh, Zoom-backed, uh, actually it's Microsoft Teams-powered school for the first nine weeks due to the COVID, the COVID. Um, so if you hear if you hear footsteps echoing above, um, hopefully the soundproofing um, cones that are arriving in the mail at some point, hopefully by the end of the year, will block all of that stuff out. Um, I could also have a conversation with my children about actually um, doing their schoolwork instead of logging into Zoom or Microsoft Teams and putting on a TikTok loop of them sitting in front of their computer. Um, pretending like they're actually in class, which is something something I've actually heard people are doing these days. Um, they're recording themselves for 15 seconds or so sitting in front of their computer, and then they just set that on loop, and they aim their webcam at the phone, and it looks like they're in class, but they're out, you know, watching Netflix or going to the swimming pool or doing whatever. So I could have a conversation with my kids about, you know, not being disobedient uh, reprobates. Um... But we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> and of course, I partially jest, but not maybe not really. Um, I was going to start this by singing uh, one of my favorite songs, but then I had to test the microphone. So we'll just pretend that this whole like two minute and 23 second intro didn't start. And we're going to start fresh. <gasps> going on a trip in our favorite rocket ship sailing through the sky. Antique road show. And you go, wait a second, it's not supposed to be Antique Roadshow, it's supposed to be Little Einsteins. And, well, I don't want to talk about Little Einsteins because they're creepy. And I'm sure if I went back and watched Little Einsteins, I'd probably, in my older, jaded uh, cynicism stage of life, I would probably see, like, little social justice warriors embedded into the characters. Um, some sort of, you know, malfeasant political agenda afoot through the uh, airwaves of Disney or whoever did that one, but that would be a topic for a different discussion in another day. Um, no, but I, I do want to talk about Antique Roadshow, the Antique Roadshow. And you go, well, what's Antique Roadshow? Well, if you had the, if you had the privilege of living in the 90s um, and into the early 2000s and you tuned into PBS, Public Broadcasting Station, they had this little gem of a show called the Antique Roadshow. And people would, they would set up shop in convention centers around the country. And they would announce ahead of time, hey, you know, Antique Roadshow is coming to a town near you. Uh, bring all of the garbage in your garage and see if it's worth something. Um, and so, you know, you would get a steady stream of just average Joe Americans you know, and they would show up and, you know, this 80-year-old grandma would say, well, I've had this tea kettle in my family for 14 generations. And they'd look at it and they'd say, wow, the patina on this thing is amazing. And if you look at this little indentation on the bottom, that denotes that it was built by Sir Osgood III, who served in the court of Queen Elizabeth Twelfth. And you're like... Wow, I never knew that. I only made tea. <laughs> and then, you know, they'd say the, the big payoff was always what it was worth. You know, people, that's what they wanted to know. And then, you know, the 80-year-old the grandma who brought the teapot would sit with bated breath. And the guy would say, well, you know, given, given the circumstances, this teapot is worth $274,000. And she'd be like, oh, dear. Oh, heavens. Oh, um, you know, or you'd get the guy to come in and be like, yeah, I found this in my garage, and 
you know, I think it's worth something. Uh, the rumor had it that the guy that I got it from at the yard sale down the street was that Paul Revere had it in his saddlebag, you know, when he was riding through warning that the British were coming. And the guy looks at it and he's like, uh, actually, I think this thing is just like, it might have fallen off of a muffler on like a 58 Dodge and it's probably just carbon and you probably just want to throw it away and I probably would, you'd have to pay me to take it. And the guy would be like, oh, shucks, man. I thought that was my, I thought my ship had come in. Um, so that was Antique Roadshow. And it was a fun show. And they may still have it on. I don't know. Um, I watch less and less TV the older I get and the busier I get. But um, it was a fun show. And as an audience member, you would kind of, you know, your excitement levels and your anticipation would kind of go along with what this thing was going to worth. What's this thing going to be valued at? You know, is the 80-year-old grandma going to hit the jackpot with her little patina, you know, teapot that she's been serving tea out of for 14 generations? Or, um, you know, is the, the guy that found the 25-cent whatever at yard sale, wherever, you know, is he going to find something that's worth six grand and be shocked and laugh? Oh, hey, what a, what a cool thing. Um, so it was a great show. It was a great show. The primary economic takeaway that you would conclude from watching the Antique Roadshow would be the simple fact that the value of the item is somehow directly attributable to the reputation of the maker or the artist. And it's funny that I said somewhat and then directly attributable. Those seem to be sort of at odds with each other. But that's the takeaway that you would have. And there's a door slamming somewhere. Um, hopefully the the pyramid foam will uh, block that out in the future. Um, but the, the, the takeaway is that the worth or value of the item is directly attributable to the reputation of the company or the person who made it. And so, you know, if you had a teapot come in and it was determined that it was just, you know, hammered out of brass, you know, by some unknown blacksmith, you'd go, well, you know, it's maybe worth a little bit just because of the age and that it hasn't been melted down and scrapped at this point. But as far as the reputation of that particular unknown blacksmith, eh, it's not worth a whole lot. But someone would bring in something that was, you know, designed by an artist who had a tremendous reputation and the value would go up. And you say, well, why are you talking about the Antique Roadshow on a Christian podcast? And I think it's because I want to explore that idea, drive home that point, um, that the value of our lives as Christians is not determined by stuff we do. It should ultimately be determined by the value the reputation of the maker. And you go, oh, well, that's interesting. So what you're saying is that if I'm presented with two options, I have a kindergarten crayon scribble scrabble drawing of some unicorn human with a tail jumping over a rainbow into a pot of gold with some Yeti attacking them from the north. Uh, that'd be a disturbed kid. You might want to get them in front of a psychologist. Then <laughs> um, I may or may not have actually drawn that as a kid. Um, if you have that up against a Rembrandt or up against a Dolly or up against something where the artist actually has a reputation, the value is obviously going to be a lot higher on the piece of art for the Rembrandt or the Dolly as opposed to the anonymous crayon scribble scrabble. Now, the truth of the matter is that God is the ultimate maker. He's the ultimate creator. He is the uh, ex nihilo, out of nothing. There's a famous, famous, there's a cross movement lyric, famous in my mind, um, that God created ex nihilo. Um, and leave it up to the cross movement to mix Latin f theological truths into their uh, rhymes. But... Um, it's 20 some years later and they st continue to stick with me as I've mentioned before. So props to you cross movement. Um, so God has created out of nothing. 
he spoke and it was. And if you take a second to detach yourself from the four or five or six inch LCD screen in front of your face eight hours a day, and you actually bother yourself with, take the uh, inconvenient, burdensome uh, interruption of actually looking at creation for a moment, uh, you will see the wonder and the complexity and the just sheer, it's, it's not understandable. And that's not a very uh, fancy word. I don't, it's not a fancy word to say that, but it's, it's incomprehensible. You know, you, you think about the complexity of life and you try to wrap your head around it and it's mind boggling. You ponder the fact that the earth is rotating around the sun at 66 some thousand miles an hour while spinning on an axis going a thousand miles an hour. Um, I mean, that's three times, almost three times, it's actually 2.6 something times the speed of the fastest man-made object that we have created, uh, the Atlas V rocket. That thing maxed out at around 25,000 miles an hour. And that's like the height of human engineering. And here the earth is just flinging around the sun at 66 some thousand miles an hour. And it's, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. It's fascinating. And if you look at that and you are awestruck by that, you could easily conclude, you could see how someone could conclude that the worth of that creation is very, very valuable because of the reputation, the power, the prestige of the maker of that creation is pristine. And so here we are with that truth. That's, that's true. Whether, whether we choose to recognize that or admit it, it is true. It's a, it's a universal truth that creation is marvelous, that the universe is awe-inspiring, um, that it is incomprehensible, that it, we, it, it's far beyond our human capacity to come to full terms and full grasp and full comprehension of the magnitude and magnificence of the universe and creation at large. And yet, and yet, if you look around, the world at this point in time is behaving as if creation and humans are kindergarten scribble scrabble unicorn humans jumping over rainbows with a yeti attacking from the north and there's a huge disparity huge discrepancy between the two and i bring this up because surveying the landscape of just life in america right now you know you look at portland you look at the the riots and the protests and the abject disregard for human life which is oh if i disagree with you you're the devil and you deserve to die um, and you look at you know the abject disregard of human life in terms of the sheer number of abortions that we commit as a country every year um, just this callousness towards life and what i am realizing with with some sense of, of real sobriety and heavy-heartedness is that this is directly attributable to the fact that humankind views God the Creator as the anonymous backwoods poorly skilled blacksmith who hammered some copper into something that kind of looked like a copper tea kettle that some dude hopes is going to have a lot of value and then he discovers that the maker of that teapot was actually a subpar amateurish uh, hack job of a teapot and you go okay well it's worth nothing because the creator of that particular object has no reputation. And I think that's where we're at today, especially in the secular culture. And on one hand, I'm not surprised in the secular culture. I mean, you look through the scripture and there is a repeatable pattern of humankind, even God's own people, 
losing sight of the value, the reputation of the maker, the creator, the artist, and pursuing all kinds of stuff in light of that. So it's not surprising that that pattern is repeating itself, but in my lifetime, it seems that the, if you were to chart out the value of the reputation of God, um, it seems like in my lifetime, it is at an all-time low. And maybe everyone feels that way as they get older. Maybe you start off with rose-colored glasses and this, you know, naivete of, oh, I'm just still oh God is so great and the world's going to be awesome and yay. And then you, you know, experience the, your 20s and your 30s and, you know, unexplained deaths and car accidents and catastrophes and wars and senseless murders and, you know, boneheaded violence. And you go, uh, hmm. And, and, you know, so it's probably not at an all-time low because if I'm sure that Christians during World War II were like, uh, yeah, this is great. Fantastic providence right here. Um, you know, and then as World War II came to a close and the concentration camps were, you know, light was shed upon the atrocities and unspeakable horrors that happened in concentration camps in Nazi Germany, you probably were not praising the Lord saying, wow, God is such a wonderful maker. And that probably brings us to a very difficult, and this is not going to be something new. Oh my goodness, he's uncovered a question that nobody's asked before. Um, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? That's, that's sort of the vein that that's in. But again, it's getting back to the reputation of God. And so if you're faced with I'll be honest. I mean, if I if I was a, a soldier that, that liberated, I don't want to say liberated, I guess stumbled upon. It seems like history would say that, that you know, soldiers kind of stumbled upon the concentration camps because they didn't even really know that they existed. And then you see the, you know, piles of human bodies and the, the starved, skeleton-like, you know, bodies of those that are living it would be really difficult for me in that moment to say, wow, God, the maker of this is fantastic because how, how is he letting that happen? And I, I think that that is the real, this, this is the real battleground, I think, for Christianity. You know, we like to get caught up in these, you know, pie in the sky kind of utopian theological arguments of, well, I think it's human will. No, it's God. Um, well, I think that we should have only an organ and a choir. No, we need electric guitars and 49 musicians on stage and strobe lights to cause an incredible two Japanimation seizure warning. Make them sign it in the covenant agreement. Put that in, that we are not liable. If you have a seizure during our worship service, we are not liable. We will not be held liable. And if you somehow are caused to meet with an untimely death during our worship service, there is no remuneration for you or your offspring. Um, I could see Stephen Furtick putting that in his covenant agreement. <laughs> Along with probably what I suspect is some sort of clause to authorize the ushers to tase the parents of crying babies. But maybe even the babies themselves, who knows? At least that's where my imagination runs wild um, with the despotic, authoritarian, megalomaniac leaderships of said pastorpreneur types. Um, but yes, I think this is where the this is where the real meat of the fight for faith comes from. Because as I said, if you in a vacuum, like let's just say that, and 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 I think you can glean this from listening to astronauts. You know, they talk about being the, the small blue marble. They're up in space and they can, you know, they can hide the earth with their thumb. So they hold their thumb up to the little space shuttle window and the size of their thumbnail covers the earth. And they, they every single one that you read about the, the awestruck um, impact of, you know, I think there's what there's less than 20 um, people who have landed on the moon. I want to say 16. I think it's somewhere in there. Uh, I want to say it's 16, and I, I could normally Google this, but the way that this podcast studio is set up currently is I would need GoGo Gadget extender arms to reach my keypad. 
um, because I'm kind of like, sort of like almost electric chair strapped into this seat the way that the microphone is currently temporarily set up. Um, oh my gosh, you're so morbid. Um, but I kind of feel like, I feel like this microphone is kind of like a straitjacket on me and I can't move it. Oh, I can't reach. Even if I, it's not even a flexibility issue. It's just a purely laws of physics issue that it's too far away and it's too low. And I'm sort of swiping at it like a cat trying to play with like a yarn ball. Um, maybe if you send me some catnip, I'll get, I'll get amped and hyped enough to actually reach the keyboard somehow, but I would need an extender. Uh, go go gadget arm so it's not gonna happen um, but just google it yourself it's under 25 I know that okay it's under 50 I know that for a fact 100% I'd bet every last dollar I had if betting were Christianly um, on the fact that uh, there's under 50 people who've stepped foot on the moon and I'm gonna say it's 16 but I'm probably wrong uh, but they all say that the awestruck nature of seeing the blue marble and realizing that what there's really wars and murders and robberies and thefts and lies and affairs and deceit and lust and covetousness and all this stuff happening down there like it's just so beautiful and magnificent and and amazing how on earth could we get wrapped around the axle on all of these petty human pursuits so that's the level i'm talking about when i say that the truth of the beauty of creation, the wonder of creation, and the reputation of the maker, that's the level that I'm talking about that on. But the battle for faith is somehow putting that truth, the battle for faith is when that truth of the blue marble and the awe and the sort of stepped back perspective of the magnificence of God and his creation butts heads with the depravity and the shallowness and the superficiality and the selfishness of mankind. And I would say right now, the message that the church needs to hear is we need to be fighting for upholding, sort of dusting off and polishing up the reputation of the creator. And you're saying, ooh, ah, ee, that kind of, I don't know how I feel about that. We're, we're supposed to have God's back. Um, well, we definitely sure as heck should not just be running roughshod over him, throwing him under the bus. Hey, yeah, well, not my problem. You know, ask God about that. No, we, we should be championing. I always mispronounce that word. We should be advocating for um, striving to ourselves see the reputation of the creator. Um, and then we should be seeking to advance his reputation and not in a militaristic you know, crusades type nonsense of believe, repent and be baptized or off with your head. You Gentiles, you shall bow the knee and be baptized and kiss the ring of the Pope or you shall die. Um, I'm not talking about that kind of power driven nonsense. I'm talking about meekness, humility, lowliness of character, um, and maybe, just maybe, not putting all of our eggs, perhaps maybe not even putting any of our eggs in the false equivocation that a political party is God's reputation. Holy smokes. And this is part two of this podcast. So there's the antique roadshow, and then there's the well-intentioned but wildly off-the-rails sermon that we listened to this weekend. And by the way, if you're in a state where you can attend church right now, I'm pretty psyched for you. Um, because up here in good old Georgia, um, which by the way, we watched. I, I watched Driving Miss Daisy for the first time ever. I'd never seen it. Um, I remember it being, like I remember, I think I was, it was 1989. I want to say it was 1989. And we somehow... I was, we were just in the trailer out in eastern New Mexico, and, and I, I remember flipping through the channels like ABC, NBC, PBS, and, and uh, CBS, and there was, the Oscars came on, and I remember seeing the, you know, when they do the best actress thing, and it was, what, who was it, Jessica Tandy? Anyway, this is my only recollection of Driving Miss Daisy, it was 1989, I believe it was in some beat up old trailer 
in the drafty cold east mountains of New Mexico and seeing Driving Miss Daisy being nominated for some Oscar and there was some short clip they showed of Morgan Freeman pulling up in some old Studebaker or something and then the old white lady getting in the back and you know everybody clapped and then they put the camera on her face and she was like oh I'm so oh I'm humble oh but if I don't I hope I win and if I don't then all these other women are evil um, that's how those award shows kind of strike me is feigned sincerity oh I'm so happy for you I hope you choke on the shrimp cocktail at the after party you conniving actress um that's how they appear to me I mean maybe I'm wrong maybe they all just are super happy for their uh, counterparts but the little I saw of thespians in high school I'm gonna have to say that that's probably not the case I didn't get the lead role in the princess and the pea I'm suicidal the narcs come busting into the classroom don't stab yourself with that number two pencil there is more to live for than the princess and the pea there's not I've been working for it since I was in Macbeth in seventh grade ma'am Put the pencil down. Take it away from your jugular. But I can't live with myself. Could you imagine some of those unstable thespians um, in the 90s? Wow, how would they have dealt with social media these days? Goodness gracious. I think you're seeing. Not well. Um, that's a tangent. Holy smokes. Anyway, so we watched Driving with Daisy for the first time since I've been in Georgia. In fact, I've kind of been inspired to watch Georgian movies since we've moved to Georgia. Um, and I just, <laughs> I love saying Georgia. Um, yeah, so I don't even know where I was going with that. Driving Miss Daisy. Darn it, I hate these rabbit trails. I need my notepad, but I can't reach it. Go, go, gadget extender. Where are you? I wonder if this, is this cool fancy mic picking up the squeaky chair? It's gonna be fun to put on my headphones and see later. It's like some Christian techno podcast beat. Uh, Oh, so the second part. I don't know why I was talking about Georgia. Who knows? Another rabbit trail that has disappeared into the mist of time and space. Um, which makes me want to talk about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure 3, but I, I won't. Um, but do Google that because Keanu Reeves is a riot, as they say. Uh, so the second part of this is the this completely off the rails message that we heard this weekend well-intentioned but off the rails oh it was about if you live in a state and go to church these things always have a way of circling back around in my add riddled mind um if you're in a state where you can go to church i envy you um you're not supposed to envy that's one of the seven deadly sins um here in georgia it's a covid lottery right now so you have to go on midweek and, and sort of enter the church Powerball. And if your numbers come up, um, then you get a notification and you have to confirm your reservation. And then you have to put on a mask and you have to go social distance. Well, one, I'm not a mask wearer. Oh, curse you. You are the spawn of Satan. Um, and two, the, the whole gambling thing to get into church service just seems like as close to sacrilegious as you could possibly come. So we've just been having um, home church for the moment. And once these draconian, authoritarian, uh, Leninist-type lockdowns are actually lifted, um, then we will gladly return to fellowship. So we've been listening to services online, and the guy was talking about the 2020, the the murder hornets and why am i even why 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 do i continue to listen to this guy probably be my first question if you're going to bring murder hornets into a sermon um it's probably better to find a different sermon but what are you talking about you brought in antique roadshow and all kinds of random things driving miss daisy and keanu reeves you're worse than that church um but this is a podcast i don't claim to be god's anointed um i'm just a beat up old tea kettle um, trying to heat up some water and maybe I'm a little teapot short and stout here is my hand <laughs> if I was a appraiser on the antique roadshow that's what I would have done when 80 year old grandma brought in her 14 generation old teapot 
she, I would have let her sit there and tell me the whole story about how um, Octavius Thurgood the 14th, who was knighted by Queen Magellan, whoever, um, poured tea for Prince Harry, blah, blah, blah. I would have listened to the whole story. And, mm, mm, mm. and while she was like almost done, I would have picked it up with my white gloved velvety uh, hand and started singing I'm the little teapot song while pretending like I was pouring something. That's what I would have done. And then I would have claimed that because I touched it, the value increased 5%. Um. <laughs> if I haven't said it before, I love podcasting. Um, so he is talking about murder hornets and, oh, 2020 has been a disaster and overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed. So what do we do when we're overwhelmed? And he says, this was his primary point, is what do we do when we're overwhelmed? We take our eyes off of the problems. Okay. Turn your eyes from the world. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hey, that's an old hymn. Sweet. This guy's going to, he's going to drop that hammer and we're going to have some truth for the soul. And we're going to be like, yes, that resonates because it's truth. And my soul is looking for truth and it's going to sink and settle and be boom. And I'm going to feel refreshed and revived for the week. So take your eyes off of your problems and take your eyes off of people. Okay. I mean, you know, don't be a fear of man. Don't fear man. You know, if we're, if we seek to please men, we're not a servant of Christ. Okay. Kind of there. Um, and place them on the process. And I was like, oh, all the soul enlivening universal truth hitting home just sort of diffused out of nothing. It was like he instantly turned my soul into some sort of spaghetti strainer and all the water just out into the sink. So that kind of hurt. I was looking for a little universal truth pick me up and instead I got a uh, perforated soul with 1400 holes and everything just ran out into the, the sink. And, it, and the holes were so big that even the spaghetti noodles, they started to fall out the holes too. And it was like, no, don't go down the drain. I'm supposed to eat you. Um, Whoever designs spaghetti strainers needs to get it together. Like, take a math class and learn about the freaking diameter of a noodle and make the holes appropriately sized. Maybe I just got a retarded strainer, but every time I strain spaghetti and it, half the spaghetti is trying to sneak out the holes and down the garbage disposal. Um, so anyway, take your eyes off of problems. Check. Take your eyes off of people in the sense that you're fearing them. Check. And then put it on the process. What? Yeah, that's what Hebrew says. Fix your eyes on the process. The guaranteed man-concocted way to perfect your faith. Put your eyes on the process. Are you joking me, dude? Like, seriously, lockdown needs to end for you because you've lost your collective marbles. Um, and then it hit me. I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect podcast material. This is perfect fo podcast fodder. Fodcast Potter. Um, that would sound. That sounds like a Harry Potter character. Meet Fodcast Potter. <laughs> if you're listening, whoever you are, J.C. Riley. No, what's her name? J.K. J.K. Rowling. If you're listening, J.K. Rowling, your next character needs to be Fodcast Potter, and not P-O-T-T-R, P-O-D-D-E-R, and Fodcast Potter can be the mysterious distant relative of Harry Potter and you can open up a whole new storyline to make 14 more books and nine more gazillion dollars and I expect one percent of the royalties JK Rowling Fodcast Potter he, you could probably also weave Fodcast Potter into being uh, some sort of distant relative of Frodo Baggins and you could probably come up with some you know rabbit trail or hobbit trail <laughs> and come up with a whole nother, you know, modern, um, who wrote those? Who wrote those? Uh, I can't remember who wrote those. Oh wait, the keyboard. Oh no. Go, go, gadget arms broken. Um, 
darn it, who was that guy? He was a C.S. Lewis contemporary. Um, and I know I've mentioned him by name before. Um, but whoever wrote The Lord of the Rings, um, you could have a, a, a whole new Hobbit trail with Fodcast Potter. <laughs> the creativity that's running through my mind um, is unprecedented. And I'm sure that you could probably come up with some explanations for that. Too much caffeine. Who knows what? Um, I want to say something that's a meme, but I won't because it would be unbecoming of a Christian podcast. So I, I will refrain. Control the tongue, youth. Control the tongue. It is a rudder that will either steer you into the beautiful sailing seas of whatever, or it will crash you into the shards and rocks. Um, so yeah, control your tongue. Um, podcast Potter. Podcast fodder. Uh, yeah, so the sermon was podcast fodder, and it dovetailed perfectly into my Little Einstein's, a.k.a. Antique Roadshow setup of if my conclusion, which I think is 100% accurate, as are most of my conclusions, that mankind in America right now, womankind, uh, humanity, has an incredibly low view of the reputation of God the Maker... It might be because the church itself has such a low view of God's reputation as the maker. And you say, well, why did you conclude that? Because of Fodcast Potter. Take your eyes off of the problems and the people and place them on the process. That shows me that you hold God Almighty in a very low esteem. I don't think it's a low esteem. It would be you hold him in low esteem. You have a very low view of God the creator if you are imploring Christians to take their eyes off of a couple things and place them on the process. I'm sorry, but the process might have been... Was that, was that Alan Iverson's nickname? The process? I don't remember. Um, you're going to... The process is not God. The, the process is tactics and and plans and strategies. And again, the writer of Hebrews does not say fix your eyes on your plan, fix your eyes on your process. It says fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And so I just sit here and I go, wow, it's no wonder that, the, that America itself has such a ghastly view of God's reputation given the fact that pastors are promoting this idea that we're supposed to fix our eyes on the process, which to me shows without a shadow of a doubt that their own view of God's reputation is pretty crappy. Sort of like when Squints saw, um, what's his name from the Sandlot? Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. Squints, Squints pretended to drown and, and uh, whatever her name was, Penny Leavenworth or something, came over and gave Squints CPR so that he could, you know, low-key deceitfully squeeze in a smooch. And one of Squints' friends says, I don't know, man, he looks pretty crappy. That's what I feel like saying to these pastors that are not upholding God's reputation, to these pastors that have a very low view of the worth of God's reputation as author, as creator, as maker. I don't know, man, you're looking pretty crappy. It's kind of, it's what I feel like. And it's like, how much is it to ask that a pastor actually has a high view of God's reputation? Like, is that too much to ask? I mean, isn't that the job that you're supposed to be in? Even if you're a smarmy used car salesman and you don't even really believe it, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. You know, the used car salesman putting sludgy oatmeal in the transmission back in the day to try to move some jalopy off the lot you know, so that the transmission didn't grind and spark and smoke for the 15-minute test drive, at least they put on the appearance that they believed in the reputation of that automobile. Oh, yeah, ma'am, here, this here Studebaker, that thing is, that thing is, oh, it's, it's A+, plus, it's solid, that thing's never going anywhere. That, that transmission will last you from Staten Island all the way out to L.A. and back. All the well knowing that, oh, geez, no, turn left here, ma'am, turn left here. If you, if you go any farther... The oatmeal remedy 
the oatmeal bandage is going to wear off and the transmission is going to fall out onto Main Street and you're going to know that I'm a con artist. Like on one hand, I'd almost wish that these pastors just adopted, just go full bore with your used car salesman. You're already pitching stuff of questionable value. Just at least, at least fake it, at least pitch it a little bit better to at least give us a little bit of hope that, oh, hey, here, look to God and his reputation. Like, go all in on your used car salesman-ness. That was an awkward-ness to make the, uh, the word make sense, I guess. Like, go all in on it. Why are you holding back? Be like the used car salesman saying, well, you know, I know you need a car, but this one kind of stinks. But, you know, if you just focus on turning the ignition and, you know, pumping, pumping the gas pedal a couple times and pulling on the choke here and there, uh, yeah, you can get by. I mean, it, it's not the best, but you'll get by. And that's how I feel pastors are, they're, they're doing God dirty, I think is the modern vernacular. Don't, don't do God dirty. Don't, don't underhand him like that. But that's what, that's what pastors are doing. Seriously, pastors. I know you might too, you, you're probably suffering, you, you're, you're suffering, suffering from isolation. You're going through the same nonsense that everybody else is going through. But find the mustard to get up and be an ambassador for God's beauty and God's magnificence and God's reputation. Stop just kind of throwing him under the rug, brushing his stuff under the rug, throwing him under the bus. Well, you know, it's a Yugo. You could do worse. I mean, if you were a Satan worshiper, I guess it'd be worse. But, you know, I mean, it's a piece of crap Yugo. Gets, you know, 14 miles a gallon and it smokes and burns a hole in the ozone layer right above its geolocation. But, hey, you know, I mean, you could do worse. The springs pop up and, like, stab you in the thighs and you're going to have to go to the emergency room for stitches. But, you know, you could do worse. You could be on some squeaky bicycle that pops out of gear every fourth pedal. Yeah, you could do worse. That's what that's what pastors are doing today. Their pitch is, uh, well, you could do worse. I mean, God's kind of okay. I mean, well, yeah, you could do worse. Embarrassing and frustrating and soul sapping. <sighs> wow. Good thing I'm not God. Because this thing would have been over a long time ago. I think I've shared before, my friend used to lick his thumb and then just squish things out. And praise God he doesn't do that. And we and, and that in and of itself, the fact that God hasn't licked his thumb and just squished the whole thing out, that in and of itself should make us have a high view of God's patience at least. At least we should be able to look at God and say, wow, he's so patient. He hasn't licked his thumb and squished us like an ant. Oh, that's such an impersonal view of God. You are so cold-hearted. I'd rather have that set up and marvel at God's patience than I would be pseudo-implored and encouraged to kind of view God as a Yugo that gets crummy gas mileage, but it's better than riding some old rusty bicycle. Like, really? That's where we're at? Eh, you could do worse. So yeah, um, Fodcast Potter. That's what this has served to be. So I, my encouragement to you as an individual Christian, um, you know, it's kind of like cutting out the middleman. I really think that's what the Reformation was all about. The Reformation was cutting out the middleman. You had a bunch of used car salesmen in the old Catholic church doling out indulgences. And Luther came along for all his warts and problems and, you know, mental lunatic ravings at times. <laughs> What are you talking about? Uh, don't read Luther's uh, later life um, writings on the Jewish people. Um, avoid it. Avoid it. Put up a content filter on your phone and block it. Um, for all of his shortcomings, uh, the one thing that Luther did was he cut out the middleman. And that's what we're in desperate need of. So my encouragement to you as a Christian is to cut out the middleman. Just kind of go, okay, I can be patient with my used car sales, my pastor, but I can't have my soul be fed from that. So, in, and, and break out of this weird twilight zone we're in right now, which is kind of like, well, you could do worse. And try to plead the Lord for eyes of faith to see the reputation of him. That's, that's the gist of the battle. 
That's the gist of the battle of faith, is the... Oh, hey, I wonder if that's picking up. So in this new house, the, the old alarm system, um, it beeps every four hours for no reason, and you have to come hit two buttons to reset it, and then it will start beeping again four hours later. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I haven't called and activated it because... Um, I mean, what's an alarm gonna do when Smith and Wesson are, you know, they're my the the alarm company is the middleman. Okay, the Smith and Wesson is getting down to brass tacks, as they might say. Um, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're talking about self defense, castle doctrine, baby, castle doctrine. Um, that's not loving. Well, okay, we won't talk about that. We won't talk about politics on the on this here podcast. We won't. We'll avoid it. Um, but anyway, beep. So I'm, my, my main question is, is that is the new podcasting microphone picking up the beep, 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 beep every 30 seconds. I think it's every 60 seconds until you reset it. And then you get a four hour reprieve. I think I'm just going to yank the power supply on it today. I don't even know. I, I, I was, I was fantasizing. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're fantasizing. How evil. Um, I was, I was thinking, okay, how can I solve this problem? It was like, okay, just disconnect the power supply. And then I looked at it and there's three wires. And I was like, ooh, I could fantasize that I'm like in a MacGyver episode and I have to disarm a bomb and I'm going to have those little snippers, those little snips. And it's like, oh, do I do yellow, blue, or red? Yellow, blue, or no more podcasts ever. Um, that would have been diabolical of the previous homeowners to somehow attach their alarm system to some self-detonating explosive device lawsuit. Um and it's not, they didn't. Obviously my my imagination is running wild, uh, but that'd be fun. If I do disconnect the power supply, I'm gonna pretend like a MacGyver and I have to cut the right, the right wire. And you know, it's obviously gonna be, the color choice is gonna come down to the color of the shoelaces that I saw on the main villain, you know, at the beginning of the episode. Oh, hey, he had yellow shoelaces, it's gotta be yellow. Yay, MacGyver wins. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, that's the gist of faith. The the battle for faith is, is the truth of God's magnificence as creator, his reputation as creator and maker and sustainer, when that butts up against the realities of sinful gunk that we see in the world. And right now, my contention is that pastors across the board are doing a poor job of championing. I still messed up the word. How come I can't say that word well? It's like it's like I'm trying to speak some foreign language. Got me. Champ, champion, championing. Still not right. Wow. I'm gonna have to pull up some uh, Babel, uh, Babel app and teach myself English. Um, pastors are doing a poor job of, of defending and promoting the reputation of God. So as individual Christians, we need to double and triple and quadruple down our efforts to make sure that our soul is valuing the reputation of God. Because we sure as heck are not getting a lot of air support, so to speak, from pastoral headquarters across the nation. We're getting a lot of, well, you know, you know, you could do worse. Just make do with what you got. Just got to make do. And I don't think that's the Christian message. I don't think the Christian message is, yeah, well, you know, life sucks, but I just kind of make do. And, you know, maybe there's some God up there that kind of cares. But just put your eyes on the process and everything will be cool. So double, triple, quadruple, quintuple, sextuple. I don't know what goes beyond that one. What's whatever seven is, and then octuple, and then nuevo tuple. <laughs> Ocho, uh, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. Ocho, nuevo, yeah, nuevo tuple. Diez tuple. You're mixing languages now. This is turning into a culturally appropriate podcast, and I am not appreciative. Uh, if I haven't said it before, I'll say it for the first time. I love podcasting. Um, it's just me, a microphone, a pot filter, hopefully some four inch pyramid foam here within the next 
couple days. Uh, although I think FedEx's volume is just in. I think it's unmanageable at this point. I ordered something overnight last Wednesday. It still hasn't shown up, and all it does is just get scanned that it's in transit every morning at 5 a.m. and then every evening at 5 p.m. And it's been in the same city for four days straight, and it gets scanned twice a day that it's in transit in Norcross, Georgia. I'm like, dude, Norcross, Georgia is eight miles from my house. Like, just stop the truck for a second. Tell me where he's going to put gas in at the freaking speedway or where he's going to stop and get a donut, and I'll come dig it out of the back myself. Um, and then I reached out to FedEx, hey, it's been five days and I paid for the overnight shipping and they sent me a press release that said, effective immediately, FedEx is suspending their refunds for expedited shipping services um, until we get our proverbial ducks in a row. Um, so I think they're just completely inundated with volume. Um, and why was I talking about shipping? I don't know. But here I am, I'm chained, I'm, I'm uh, straight jacketed into this here podcast. Oh, the, the foam. So the foam, the four inch foam pyramid things that I'm going to uh, line every last crevice of this room in uh, will hopefully uh, block out the, the possessed MacGyver alarm along with uh, rapscallion foot traffic above. Um, and maybe eliminate some of the echoes if there's any echoes in here. So thanks for listening. 51 seconds and 51 seconds, 51 minutes and going on 20 seconds here. Look forward to doing this here thing again. Like, I was going to say like, subscribe, share, but this isn't YouTube. Um, yeah, leave a rating perhaps. Maybe help get it up there. Uh, I think there's two ratings, three ratings. I know there's a lot more listeners than that. Don't be shy. It's anonymous. You don't, and, and, and if somebody does give you a hard time, you listen to the Chief End podcast. Just put what everybody puts on their Twitter bio. Retweets do not equal endorsements. I don't endorse everything that Lunatech says. Um, but he does give me a lot of podcast potter to ponder. Have a wonderful day and look to build your appreciation of and your esteem of God's reputation as a creator, as a maker, as a sustainer, as a gracious and kind, loving father. And as you do that, your relationship to man and your neighbor and political opponents, etc., etc., is going to change. Because if you have a high view of the maker, if the reputation of the maker is extremely valuable, you will then view his creations as having much more value than what you are currently assigning them to. So each one of us is a 14th generation teapot that some granny dug out of somewhere and whoa, it has value because the maker, the reputation of the maker is extremely valuable. And every single one of us have been created in the image of God. And therefore, every single one of us has tremendous value as being image bearers of God. So let's fight this fight of faith to not just kind of look at processes and tactics and political parties. But let's look to the author and finisher of our faith, faith Jesus Christ. And as a result, let's... We will, we will, as a result, we will view the creation as having value. That's what we're in need of, not only as a country, but also as a church. Adios, go, go, gadget arm. Hey, I can reach the mouse pad, barely. And three, two, one, stop.